us the last couple of weeks and watched my struggle with technology. If you cannot imagine the sense of joy, or you probably can't imagine the sense of joy, I'm feeling to see that everything's working right off the bat. So that's wonderful. Uh, this morning we continue our study of the book of Philippians. Uh, today we are in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 11. may not realize this or not, uh, but today is Reformation Sunday. going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in just a few moments, but it's a, it's a big day on my church calendar every year. Uh, in years past, we've actually had visitors from history. Uh, Martin Luther's come uh, a couple of times on this Sunday over the years to tell us about his life, and uh, we'll hear a little bit more about him because uh, the uh, focus of the passage this morning... Uh, really highlights one of the key doctrines that led to the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation of the church. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 11, that's found on page 981 in the Pew Bibles. If you would like to follow along there, if not, as you can see, it is projected behind me on the screen, and you can read it there as well. Philippians chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you again for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach to your people. Lord, I, I pray that, that, that among everyone here you will find hearts that are eager to know you and hungry for the truth. Lord, I pray for myself, for help in being faithful and true to your word. Lord, I, I pray that uh, the, the, the technology that is used would not be a distraction, but would serve as, as an aid uh, for, for, for greater memory and understanding of the truth. Lord, I, I pray for us all, Lord, that we would become even more convinced of, of, of the glory of the gospel. 
Lord, Lord, I, I pray as a result that it would be the desires of our hearts to live faithfully for your glory, not seeking to earn anything from you, but Lord, living as a response to the salvation that we have received from our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, give us ears to hear, minds that comprehend, hearts that love you, and wills that are conformed to your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now again, I I mentioned before that today is Reformation Sunday, and, and honestly, we find ourselves at a perfect passage of Scripture to, to celebrate the many fruits of the Protestant Reformation. Today is the, the last Sunday in October, and, and that's typically what the, the day that is designated as Reformation Sunday because it falls close to October 31st which serves as the anniversary of the day that Martin Luther, as a monk, nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. Now, Luther was was still a, a happy Catholic monk at that time, but... He nailed these 95 theses, our points of debate, uh, with the hope of bringing about some reform to the Catholic Church. He wasn't looking to to start a Protestant church, but but his efforts basically served as as, as lighting the the fire to to the kindling that God had been laying through various pre-reformers in the church over the previous about 400 years, God had been at work. But, but these 95 theses served to, 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 to make Martin Luther a marked man, which led him and, and forced him actually deeper into the Word of God and would eventually lead to his conversion. And one of the, the key doctrines that, that, that were brought to light through his studies was the, the doctrine that we refer to as being justified by faith. And we're going to talk more about that this morning. But before we do, I want to challenge you and and encourage you to understand that that the Reformation is important for all of us, not just to history nerds like me. The the, the fruit, no matter what you may think of, of, of John Calvin and Martin Luther and Eurig Zwingli or other reformers of that day, whether you agree with everything about them or you disagree or, or wherever you may fall in the continuum, we as a church must have a, have a great sense of, of gratitude for how God used these men and, and women during a, a key history, a point in history for the church to expose the masses to biblical truth. You see, we, we lose sight of what was going on during the Reformation. At that point, the common man had no access to the Word of God. In fact, many priests in the Catholic Church did not have access to the Word of God. But God raised up men who were faithful to the truth, men who had access and began to understand that, wait a minute, the the teaching that we're receiving in the church, the Catholic Church was pretty much the only game in town, 
consisted more of tradition and superstition rather than solid biblical truth. And so as Luther and others were, were exposed to the study of God's word, they began to realize that, 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 that the Catholic Church needed more than simply a, a reforming. There, there needed to be a true church where the people had access to the word of God. So, so the Reformation is important. If you've been here for the, for the, for the past nine years that, that, that I've been here, you've heard something like this every last Sunday in October. And it's because I want you to understand that we are not divorced from the history of the church. Who we are, what we believe, where we're going, our, our desire to, to honor God and all that we do is married to what God did way back then. So we must appreciate the Reformation because through it, vital biblical doctrines were once again available to common folks. Even the, the Bible itself would eventually become available to the people because of the Reformation. Now, one of the, the, the key doctrines that, that was brought to light during the Reformation is that of justification. And it's important that we understand that not only did, did Luther and others recapture a biblical understanding of, of this phrase, biblical justification, but we also must remember that justification is a key doctrine for us to understand if we're going to be faithful as followers of Christ. Now, a simple way to understand justification is this. It's the act by which God declares righteous, guiltless, perfectly obedient, the, 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 the act by which God declares righteous those who respond by faith to the gospel. This is a gift from God. It's not one that can be earned. I hope you recognized in the songs this morning that theme woven throughout. It was all about justification, even when it, they didn't use the words justification. The, the Catholic Church at the time had, had perverted this vital doctrine, and as a result, the people were blind to the truth. Now, justification isn't something that Martin Luther made up. It wasn't something that, that John Calvin came up. It was, it was something that is, is found throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul has much to say about justification by faith. I want to read three passages, but these are just three of many. You could go back and, and read pretty much the entire book of Galatians if these three passage, passages are not enough. The first is Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. Now, I read this, but I want you to know that in verses 29 and following all the way through up about chapter 6 in Romans, Paul's still going on about justification by faith. So this is just his intro to it, okay? Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now... 
the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What then becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? A law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We sang that song, Cling to Christ, where he says, I could boast of things that I've done, but it wouldn't matter. Declared righteous because Jesus was righteous for us. Ephesians 2.10, I read this last week as our call to worship. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Finally, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You're going to hear that passage again for our benediction this morning. But three examples among many from the New Testament that Paul makes it abundantly clear that any righteousness that we possess as Christians, any righteousness that can save, can only come through faith in Christ. We can never on our best day be good enough to merit salvation and so we needed a righteousness that was not our own to be imputed or counted for us as our own righteousness and that is what we receive from Jesus through faith this is what Martin Luther 
says about justification. He says, this doctrine, justification, is the head and cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. I would say less time than that. <laughs> we cannot be the church apart from the righteousness that we have received through Christ our Lord. This morning we're going to look at this passage under three main headings. First, we're going to consider Paul's appeal to the church. And then secondly, his testimony of faith. And then finally, his expectations in life. And my prayer this morning for each and every one of us, and I have been looking forward to this passage since, 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 since the week began, to, to share it with you because it's, it's my prayer that our attitude about life and about justification and, and about what we're called to as followers of Christ would mirror the Apostle Paul's. That we would begin to realize that, that what he writes here isn't just for, for guys in jail not sure what's coming next in their lives. But it is for everyone who truly believes we struggle, brothers and sisters, and we struggle, let's be honest. We struggle not because we have too big a view of, of who God is and what Christ has done. We struggle because we lose sight of the reality of how big he is and what he's done. We, we lose sight of, the, of, 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 of both the seriousness of our sin, but also the wonder uh, of the rich mercy and love that God displayed through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it is a perspective that is literally life-changing. Paul's appeal to the church. Verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now again, we need to, 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 to keep an eye to Paul's circumstances as he writes these words. Not everyone was here when we did chapter 1. But we need to remember that Paul was in prison. He was writing from prison and he was uncertain about his future. He, he thought he might die, or, but he also thought he might be released. But Paul's attitude in all of that was to rejoice. He rejoiced in the face of uncertainty. He rejoiced at the news that the gospel was being spread, even by those who were seeking to bring him pain. He rejoiced in the, in the generosity and the care that he had received from the Philippian church. He even rejoiced in the, in the knowledge that, that, that his captors, his guards, were even hearing the gospel. So here he was, in a dire situation, and his response was to rejoice. We could really say that, that up to this point in, in Philippians, Paul really, whether intentionally or not, has set himself forth 
as a true example of, of what it means to rejoice in the Lord, to be glad, to, to, to be happy in the Lord. That's a, that's a mind-bending thought, right? He was in jail. He, he might be executed. How, how could he be so joyful? Was he, was he just putting on a brave face? No, I, I believe as we read this that, that we see Paul opening in his heart to the people saying, no, listen, I rejoice. I rejoice that, 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 that whether I live or die, God is good and Christ is gain. John MacArthur has a great, great quote about this idea of rejoicing in the Lord. He says, in the Lord is the sphere in which the Christian's joy exists. Now, I want you to, to think about that for a moment. We, we, we live in a fallen world, yes, but we live as those who have been redeemed by Christ, right? And our calling in this life is to, to live faithfully and, and, and proclaim faithfully the message of salvation. And we want to live in a way that reflects that that, that, that message of salvation is true. That, that's the sphere that we live in, in a fallen world, seeking to be faithful to a glorious God. And so really, brothers and sisters, everything that we do, if we're thinking clearly, should be in the context of in the Lord. And that's why Paul could talk about rejoicing from prison. That's why in the book of Acts, the, the, the disciples came away from, from, from receiving imprisonment and a whipping publicly scourged in, in front of the masses, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to, to suffer for the name of Christ. It shows a perspective on this life and also the life to come that enables us to stand up and to be faithful. So when we lack joy, brothers and sisters, it's because we're looking at this life through the wrong lens, the, the, the wrong sphere, if you will. How, how could one imprisoned be so joyful? I think a better question is, how can we lack such joy in light of all that God has done? Now again, Bad things happen. Trials come. I look around this room and I see faces of people that I love and have walked through trials with. And some of you are walking through trials right now. And, 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 and so many times, even in the midst of the suffering, seeing you cling to your faith brings joy. And true joy truly does transcend our circumstances. But we lack joy when we lose sight of who God is and what he's done. We lack joy when we forget the promises of God, that, that God is at work in our circumstances for our good. It's not easy. And please, don't, 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 don't think I'm making light of, of, of whatever trial you've gone through or you may be going through. I, I'm really trying to encourage you that in Christ there's a better way. 
but he calls us to cling to him. Paul rejoiced in prison. Paul rejoiced facing persecution. We lose our minds when we don't have Wi-Fi. Guilty. Rejoice in the Lord. It's not just a reminder that, that Paul is, is tacking on. He, 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 he's calling them to what he has illustrated so far in Philippians. Paul's appeal, he writes, to write the same things is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And we need reminders, brothers and sisters. We need reminders because we are prone to forget. Now, years ago, I remember going through the study of 1 John and and someone came up and complained to me and they said, listen, you know, we, you, we've been working through 1 John. I know it's a short book, but, but really all the messages sound the same. You guys remember 1 John, right? He, he repeats the same three themes over and over again throughout the letter. So I guess I should have been encouraged that they at least recognized that the themes were repeating themselves. But my response was that John repeats himself over and over again because we're not getting it. <laughs> we forget, we need the reminder time and time again from Scripture of, of how we are to live as followers of Christ. Now again, don't get me wrong. I, I don't begrudge the person for asking the question or even bring it to my attention because the reality is we do need the reminders. We forget by nature. And that's why you see, that's why I can read from three different books that Paul wrote and have them all describe justification because it's a, it's a doctrine that bears repeating. We need to know it. We need to be shaped by it. We need to take confidence in it. But we forget. We never learn it the first time. Not fully, not life-changingly. Spiritual growth happens in our lives as, as those truths are laid as a foundation but then built upon up in our lives. And as we stand upon those promises, as those trials come, we come out the other side and we recognize, you know what? I can rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance. Paul says, this is good for you. It is safe for you, for me to repeat what I'm about to write to you again. It's good for you to be reminded to rejoice. It's good to be reminded to look out for those that would harm the church. It's no trouble to write it again because it's that important. Now, two summers ago, we looked at the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul from the book of Acts when our children were upstairs. And, and one of the things that we encountered almost in every city that he went to was that Paul went to war against the Judaizers. Now, that was his common problem that he faced. He dealt with other false teachings as well. But the Judaizers were Jews who tried to add the ceremonial laws of Judaism to the message of the gospel that he was proclaiming. An example would be the, 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 the Jewish ordinance of 
uh, circumcision, where the male child would be circumcised after the eighth day. So Paul would come in and, and preach the gospel of justification by faith. You respond by faith to the gospel, and you are redeemed. You're restored to God. You've been accepted. Nothing you add to it, nothing you take away. Well, later, the Judaizers, many of whom followed Paul, would come in and say, you know what, that gospel is awesome. But did Paul tell you about the ceremonial laws of God? You know what, mister, if you really want to be close to God, there's a little medical procedure you need to take part in, and then God will really accept you. It's legalistic acts in order to to, to earn God's favor. And, and Paul called that what it was. It was, it was, it was evil. This description that he sets forth uh, here in these verses, Paul's talking about the same people, the dogs, the, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the Judaizers. They had come in and they were disrupting the truth of the gospel in the church. And we need to remember that, that any form of legalism, by definition, undermines Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Now, we don't have a problem with Judaizers in the church in America, but we do have a problem with, with people coming in saying, listen, if you don't observe this day or, 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 or do this on a Sabbath or, or anything like that, then you're not really close to God. You're walking in disobedience. You may not even be saved. Now, intentions might be good and loving, and they, they want to offer you something better, but we need to understand if it detracts from the gospel of being justified completely by the work of what Christ has done, responding in faith to that, then that is legalism, that is adding to, that is perverting the truth. And any form of legalism undermines what Christ has done. There, there are others who would say, well, if you, if you, if you believe this, or, 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 or I like the, 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 the money-loving ones, well, write this check for this amount of dollars and send it in, and God's going to bless you with, with, with twice that amount down the road. Where, where's, where's giving with gladness and, and with the goal of the gospel being glorified in that? No, that's saying if you do this, then God is going to do that for you. It's a perversion of what it truly means to give. Now, the Philippians were in danger from Judaizers, and the church today faces similar dangers, all of which threaten the centrality of the gospel and our salvation. And we must be on guard. Now, and this just isn't going on in what we would call the mainline liberal denominations. This is true in, in, in churches that we would agree with on, on a ton of other doctrines are slowly beginning to, to slip away and allow the gospel to be compromised. We must never let this happen. Whether it be me or someone else standing before you saying, listen, the gospel's great, but... Run them out on a rail. Run me out on a rail. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luther's beef with the Catholic Church was first and foremost over indulgences. 
Indulgences was the, was the way a person could, could, could buy their way out of purgatory, another doctrine that we don't practice here or believe in here. John Tetzel, uh, the, the, the original prosperity preacher of the Catholic Church, was going from town to town to, to raise money to, to be able to, 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 to build the cathedral in Rome. And his message was simple. If you give money now to the church, you can take time off of your time in purgatory or for someone you loved. And they called those indulgences. So you, he, he, he had a saying. It was quite witty. When a coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. Pretty good, huh? But it's a load of horse manure. And Luther took issue with that even as a, uh, even as a Catholic monk. He said, no, that, that's not what I see when I study Romans. We must look out for those who would pervert the gospel. Paul's appeal, rejoice, look out, be on guard, watch out. There are those that would come in and, and seek to cause you to make a shipwreck of your faith. Whatever their intentions may be are irrelevant. Good, bad, indifferent. What matters is that we're grounded in the reality that it is only through the righteousness of Christ that God accepts us. That is our confidence this morning how you know you are secure because it's based on one who was faithful for you if that doesn't bring you joy this morning then let me challenge you lovingly to to, to read more about it reread Philippians understand that as Paul appeals to the church he's not calling them to lean on anything other than Christ himself Next, let's consider Paul's testimony of faith, verses 4 through 9. Paul continues, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Again, clear. Paul shares his testimony. And, and think for a moment why he would do that. Again, who's coming in to the church? Judaizers, Jews who were trying to mix Judaism with Christianity to, to, to come up with some kind of compromise between the two. And so Paul says, listen, I'm going I'm to put myself out there for a minute. If, if these guys are right and they're taking confidence in, in, in all these Jewish customs, let me, let, me, let me drop some knowledge on you, Philippians. First of all, what they want you to do, those mutilators of the flesh, done it. On the eighth day, just as the Mosaic law commands, 
I've been circumcised. Hey, I'm an Israelite. I'm Jewish. We're good. Not only that, I was born from the right tribe. Now, what does he, why does Paul reference the tribe of Benjamin? This is pretty cool. Well, it's simple. When, after King Solomon had, had his failure as a king, the, the kingdom split not long after. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom tended to be the wicked kingdom, while the southern kingdom wasn't all that great, but it at least had some fateful kings within it. Well, the southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah, but it consisted of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The Paul says, not, not only am I an Israelite, but I'm from the tribe that made the right choice way back then. Can these Judaizers say that about themselves they come in? Probably not. So I'm, I'm a better Jew than they are, is what he's saying. I've got the pedigree. Not only that, dude, I've been a Pharisee. I was faithful. I, was, I, I, I studied the law more extensively than any of them. In fact... When Christianity first arose, I was so zealous for God and, and for, uh, for Judaism that I persecuted the church. And I was committed to keeping the Mosaic law. Now, Paul isn't saying that any of those things are good for Christians to do. But what he's saying, he's using the argument of the Judaizers against them. He's like, listen, I'm a way better Jew than they are. I check all the boxes. They might get a few. I was the perfect candidate to be a Judaizer, but, but after his conversion, he understood that it was only through faith in Christ that he could truly be made righteous in God's sight. When, when Paul became a Christian, he lost every privilege he had from his heritage and position as a Pharisee. So, so when Paul says... I count everything that was gain as loss. He's, he, he's using it in terms of, of, of things that profited him. His heritage was a profit for him. Not profit as in someone who proclaims the truth, but profit as in a gain. That was his profit. All of this was gain. When I walked the streets of Jerusalem, I was the man. But all those things that were a benefit to me, and now I see in Christ, were a hindrance. And so he's really blowing up the Judaizers. Even this, this, is, this is a bigger attack even than the dogs and the mutilators of the flesh and the evildoers. Because he's laying it plain for them, for the, for the Philippians, that none of those things matter when it comes to being reconciled to God through faith in Christ. So he was glad to see those things go, to count them as rubbish, because he was justified in his faith in Christ. Brothers and sisters, again, this goes back to legalism versus God's grace. Legalism says, I can work, I can do certain things, certain even acts of, of service somehow gain me favor with God, somehow can add to my salvation. But Paul says, no. Those response, those good works that we're called to are the result of our salvation. 
We're set free to do those things because God, uh, through Christ, has removed the requirement of the law that we be punished. He's taken it out of the way. Jesus bore that wrath. It's God's grace, brothers and sisters. We're, we're called to know God because we have been known by God. Verse 9, Paul says, it's, it's not my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. Righteousness from God through faith in Christ. Now, it's important to remember, I started by focusing on the, re, the reformers, that, that we remember that they did not invent the doctrine of justification by faith. They discovered it through being acquainted with God's word. Honestly, there, there are those today that would deny it, but I don't know how you can read the New Testament and not come away understanding that we are saved by God's grace as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ, who was righteous for us. It is there, every page. And it is the greatest news ever. Brothers and sisters, we fall short in appreciating all that Jesus has done for us Honestly, because at times our view of sin is too light and our view of God is too low. The doctrine of justification by faith brings us low and it lifts God high so that we will be lifted in faith. And that is what we are called to. If you've ever studied the life of Martin Luther, you know that he was very aware of his sin. He would spend hours as a monk in confession fearful that there was something he might have missed but it was not until he understood justification that he had any assurance that he was forgiven of his sins Christian are you struggling under the guilt of and condemnation that comes when we fail can I encourage you this morning that clearly encourage you this morning that because of Jesus' righteousness you've been forgiven you've been forgiven now we're not set free to, to continue in sin those that love the Lord want to resist those temptations but the reality is we struggle and we fall and, and oftentimes we, 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 we treat it very subjectively if I feel guilty long enough then God will forgive me if I pray long enough, God will forgive me. God forgives you because Jesus was faithful for you. Get up and follow him faithfully. Paul closes by focusing on his expectation in life, however long or short that may have been. Paul writes that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's expectation, that, that word to, to know Jesus, the, the Greek word gnosko, it, it references an experiential knowledge or familiarity. It's more than just knowing facts about Jesus. But Paul wanted to know him, to, to walk with him, to, to follow him. 
but not just to know Jesus, but also to, to know the power of his resurrection. Now, it's important that we understand, brothers and sisters, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead has given us new life in Christ. Paul didn't want to live like the old Paul. He didn't want to continue as the, as the Pharisee. He wanted to live as one who had been redeemed. And that was possible because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. The same is true for us. Whether you were a thief or a liar or an adulterer, a murderer, Jesus rose from the dead, promising new life to all who believe. And the power that raised him is the power that will change you. Paul continues, I want to I I, I share in his sufferings. We know that Jesus suffered to save us and Paul suffered in order to take the gospel to others. And we must be willing to as well. And finally, to be like him in his sacrifice. Now, Paul knew that to, to sacrifice his life for the sake of the gospel would not save anyone. But to sacrifice his life for the gospel would be the clearest possible testimony of how important the gospel was. Right? If you're, if you're truly willing to, 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 to go to the grave for something, then that testifies to the value of it. And so Paul's life was a testimony of the value of the gospel. Paul continues that he, he, he wants to, by any means possible, attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, it's important that we understand this statement as, I believe, Paul meant it. He's not speaking in, in the sense like he's somehow not going to be raised from the dead. But it is a statement reflecting, not, not doubt, but full surrender to whatever God had for him. What did he say earlier? To live as as Christ and to die as gain. Paul's saying, "Whatever, whatever God has for me, I'll do anything to experience that resurrection from the dead. He's fully surrendered to whatever God had for him. Because Paul had been justified through faith in Christ, he wanted his life to reflect the value of salvation. Paul gave us his expectation in Philippians 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, we see that verse 21 on coffee mugs and on pictures in people's houses but it's got to carry more weight than a decorative verse in our homes it's got to be written on our hearts Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death we need to get on board with Paul's way of thinking brothers and sisters So we close with three questions. First of all, how does our new standing before God, being righteous in Christ, change how we live in this broken world? You have been justified in God's sight. How does that shape how we live? 
Secondly, to do the things that we delight in, that we rejoice in, reflect our love for our Savior. Do we find ourselves rejoicing more in the things of this world or in the things that bring glory to God? And finally, and perhaps the most important question for some, have you even been declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again so that you would be restored to God? That is the key. Salvation is a gift, but it is a gift that must be received by faith. We recognize that we are guilty before a holy God. Even, even one sin deserves damnation. We deserve eternal punishment, hell, separation from God. We deserve it. Each one of us deserve it. Our very existence on this earth living in rebellion against God, demands his justice. But in his love and mercy, he provided a way for that wrath to be averted from us and poured out on his son so that we who have responded in faith would be declared not guilty by God forevermore. If you have not responded to that, then you are still in your sins. But the good news, brothers and sisters, is that all we have to do is turn in faith. Just as you are sitting in a chair, placing your faith in that chair to hold you up during this lengthy sermon, faith is a lot like that in terms of our response to the gospel. We put all we are in Christ's hands. Lord, I trust you to make me right in the sight of a holy God. Jesus, I trust you for the strength to, to, to live faithfully and to honor you with my life. I trust you to keep me secure because I am always turning the wrong way in life, it seems. I trust you. And the Bible tells us that none, none who trust in him will be put to shame. So I close with that offer to you, unbeliever, whoever you may be. Turn to him and you will be justified. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word and thank you for this glorious reality that all who turn to you, all who turn to you in faith are declared righteous, acceptable, holy, in Jesus forevermore. This is our hope. This is our confidence as we prepare to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we do so gladly that recognize that we are testifying to our justification in Jesus. And perhaps, Lord, for some, this might be the first time they've ever taken communion as a believer. And if that is the case, we glorify you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.